Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 282 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Dancing in the Limelight, an interview with Allie Goodman. My name is Danny Tiger, and I was so happy to co-host with my friend, Richard Johannesson. We had an amazing opportunity to interview a really special young lady, an incredibly talented dancer from San Diego, California, named Allie. She was actually born with Lyme disease. Allie shares her story with us and reminds us not to get lost in the anger and hopelessness of chronic illness. She encouraged us to keep looking, even when the doctors that we count on get it wrong. Allie finds strength and hope in what she loves the most. Hey, Allie Goodman, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, we are really excited to have you. And tonight is a double blessing for not only me, but for our listeners of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, because not only do we have our friend Ali Goodman on this podcast, but we have one of the people who has charmed Matt Sabatella more than anyone else we've ever interviewed, our friend Danny Tiger. And uh, I want to give Danny a, a chance to say hi to the folks. But uh, in advance of Danny saying hi, I just want to invite everyone to listen to or re-listen to episode 254 so you can have a full background on our good friend Danny Tiger. But Danny, say hi to folks and uh, let them know in very short terms uh, what you do. Hey, fam. It's so good to be back. I'm so excited to be back on the podcast with you guys. Last time it was me and Matt and actually Margo. So I didn't have a chance to talk with you, Rich. So I'm so excited to be doing this with you. I'm so honored. This podcast means the world to me and so many other people. So I'm going to do my best. I won't let you guys down. I promise. So um, yeah, I'm super excited to meet Allie and to chat about our Lyme journeys. All right. So, Allie, let's get started. So, Allie, I understand you're a California gal like our friend Danny. So talk to us about your time in California and how long you've been living there. I am born and raised in California. I was born in San Diego and then I moved to a small town in the mountains when I was seven. But yeah, I've lived here my whole life. So what do you do uh, there in California now that you're, uh, you know, the ripe old age of 24? I currently do nothing, unfortunately, but I think that's pretty similar to a lot of people in my shoes. <laughs> yeah. So that's what, but wait a minute. I have to challenge you right away, Ali. It's not that you're, you're doing nothing. You're healing, right? You are, yeah. you are, you are on the yet part of your journey. You have not yet gotten to where uh, you want to be and you are going to be, but, uh, and, and, and we will talk about the power of yet, but I have to challenge you right away. You're, you're in the process of healing and you're in the process of, uh, of getting yourself to a place spiritually, emotionally, and physically where you are going to be able to take the steps that God is calling you to take to help the world after you've overcome your challenges. So let's talk more about um, what it was like growing up in California and, um, and what brought you to the place where you, are to, where you are today. Sure. So, I mean, I think I had a pretty average childhood. I um, loved school, loved reading, was a dancer, so I was very physically active. Um, but throughout my life, like I had health issues my entire life, um, started with anxiety and OCD at a very young age, like around four, I think. Um, and then my health issues just kind of got progressively worse, but not to the point where I was like, oh, like I should go to the doctor. You know, it kind of was not until I was around 
15, 16, when I was like, okay, like there's something wrong with me. I need to figure this out. I just kind of started doctor hopping from there. And then was, I was diagnosed when I was 19 with Lyme okay. disease. Well, let's pause that because we have a lot <laughs> to build out before we get to your diagnostic journey yeah. and, uh, and, and, and your ultimate diagnosis. So growing up in California and, and what was your vision for your future? Meaning what were you dreaming about doing when you grew up? Yeah. So, I mean, when I was little, I wanted to be a teacher and then it was like, well, I actually just want to be a mom. <laughs> and then I kind of hit a phase where I was like, no, I want to be an author. Maybe I want to be a doctor, but ultimately I really wanted to be a professional dancer. And I didn't really know in what capacity Broadway backup dancer for singers, um, classical ballet like I just I knew I wanted to dance and that's kind of was my dream for a very long time I started dancing when I was four so you had this vision of of being a performing artist uh, yeah. you had this artistic passion and you wanted to you wanted to teach through through um through different forms of expression so you had this sort of coming together of this desire to be a teacher and this desire to teach in a particular format and your health ended up creating some challenges for you for achieving that goal in the short term, right? But you're a very young woman and I'm sure there is going to be a lot uh, that you're going to be able to uh, pursue um, as you get through the yet phase of your, uh, of your journey. So talk to, us about, um, talk to us about what you learned about ticks and tick diseases during the course of your childhood. I'm sure as a gal in California, you knew all about ticks, you knew all about Lyme disease and it was something that you were uh, made aware of through your family and through your, uh, your education. I actually knew absolutely nothing. <laughs> I, even though I lived in the mountains, it was not something that was talked about at all. I think I was probably 13 or 14 and my mom's doctor actually tested her for Lyme disease because she was going through some weird health issues, but that was really the only time I had ever heard of it. And of course her test came back negative because it was just the regular blood test. Um, but that was literally the only time I had ever heard about Lyme disease. So talk to us a little bit about your mother's health journey. And I know it's her journey, so I don't need to give too much detail, but what was it about your mom's journey that caused her doctors, if you know, to, uh, to think Lyme? Yeah, so she actually, similar to me, has had weird health issues for her entire life. And doctors would be like, that's a really weird um, blood test to come back looking like that for someone your age or, you know, um, but she actually, I think she had like a full body rash all over her. Like, I think it was her torso and they were like, Oh, we should test you for Lyme disease. Um, yeah. So what kind of activities was your family engaging in that was going to put you in contact with ticks? Meaning were you guys hiking a lot? Were you outdoorsy folks? I mean, what was the activity that was now causing your entire family to now come in contact with um, with these vectors? So I am not an outdoorsy person at all, other than living in the mountains and just kind of like being exposed to trees and leaves and foliage like that. Um, but it's, I'm not like going out hiking or camping or anything like that. Um, my mom used to be around horses 
and was a little bit more outdoorsy when she was a kid. And I actually have congenital Lyme, so I got it from her. So it was really her being outside that kind of <laughs> caused this ripple effect throughout our family. Now, one of the things that we, we often ask folks um, to focus on is not just their outdoors activities, because it, it is one of the, I think one of the mistakes that we make is that you have to be an outdoorsy person in order to be able to come in contact with ticks and tick diseases, right? Because there are many people who, who come in contact with ticks and tick, tick diseases as a result of just being outside. In fact, the majority of people who have Lyme disease who have been bitten by ticks are bitten by ticks in their own yard. That's where we're generally getting uh, getting um, uh, infected with this disease. And many people, of course, are getting infected when they're coming in contact with companion animals. If you have cats that are coming in the house or dogs coming in the house, you are getting sick. We actually had a case here on Long Island recently where there was an infant. She was, she was literally two months old in her bassinet bitten by a tick because her dad, who was a landscaper, came back into the house and the tick crawled off of him and onto the baby and the baby got bitten. So you don't have to be an outdoorsy person. And the reason that's important for us to focus on here, Allie, is a lot of people think the only time they have to check themselves is when they've been hiking or they've been horseback riding or they've been doing something like that when in fact, checking for ticks really has to be a lifestyle. And it's something you have to do all the time, not just when you're out hiking, not just when you're on your, you know, riding your horse. And so that is an important thing for us to focus on together. So, so your mom, has this, you know, this relationship with horses and she's a horseback rider. And of course, uh, you know, you're going to find ticks on horses all the time. Now, do you know if your mom was aware of the dangers that ticks pose when you're an equestrian? I, I don't believe so. No, I think like that was just not something, but I'd, I'd have to go back and ask her, but I don't think, I mean, when she got her Lyme diagnosis, she was like shocked. <laughs> she was like, what? no I no I don't so I think like yeah and I think there's the stigma a lot of people are like how 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 do you have Lyme disease if you live in California like there aren't ticks in California but there totally are and it is something that Californians really need to be on the lookout for it is certainly something that everybody has to be on the lookout for, and it is spreading like wildfire, right? I mean, the, the, when we look at the map that the, that the CDC has made, or I should say the maps that the CDC has made available to us over the last couple of years, I mean, every year you're seeing more and more and more infestation. Uh, those of us here on the East Coast, um, you know, we've been dealing with ticks for much, much longer. And I can tell you that as a native Long Islander or an almost native Long Islander, um, I've been getting getting bitten by ticks since my childhood. We've been checking for ticks since my young childhood, right? So it was something that we were very aware of. That's why it's always interesting for me to speak to folks in other parts of the country and certainly other parts of the world, uh, because ticks were a really important part of my childhood. And being tick aware was a very important part of our childhood. And my mother was very aggressive about making sure that we, that we were aware of ticks and we checked for ticks. And it just sounds like you folks on the West Coast didn't have that same benefit. Even folks like you, Allie, whose mother was a horseback rider and she was coming, clearly coming in contact with ticks when she was on horses, right? Yeah. So 
Talk to us about that rash that your mom had, though, because I, I find that to be interesting because it's your sense that she was she was probably bitten by ticks during her childhood. And that was something that unfortunately became uh, multi-generational for you. Uh, but a rash suggests to me that perhaps she suffered a recent tick bite when the doctors had um, had seen that rash. So uh, do you know if your mom was engaging in any outdoor activities or were you you have dogs, you have cats? I mean, what kinds of things were going on uh, in your house uh, that could have caused your mom to come in contact with a tick. Yeah, we do have dogs. I mean, again, I don't really think she was doing anything outdoors, but I think it was in the summer. So she was probably outdoors more than in any other season. And yeah, we have dogs and we did have cats too, but not at that time. Okay. Now, do you recall during the course of your childhood taking ticks off of your dogs? I mean, do you remember your dogs coming in with ticks and were there any steps that you were taking to protect your dogs? from uh, coming in contact with ticks? No, not at all. <laughs> and same with my cats. I think like they were completely indoor, indoor animals, like not really, I have very small dogs. So in the mountains, you're really afraid of coyotes. So they like weren't really outdoors a lot, but I can't recall. I don't even think I've ever seen a tick like in real life. Well, Matt could tell you the Matt could tell you the same thing. We're going to talk a little bit more about that because it's not uncommon for people with Lyme disease. Again, your your congenital journey may be a little bit different than than some others, but it's not uncommon for people with Lyme disease to never have seen a tick, to not know what it looks like, to not um, have remember being bitten by a tick. But that's because ticks are really good mm -hmm. at biting us without us knowing it, uh, about it, right? And, and being and being attached to us for a long period of time. So. Then you talk to us about how your symptoms developed and then talk to us about how your developing symptoms were interfering with your ability to pursue your vision to be a teacher and a, and, and a performing artist. Yeah. So like I mentioned, I started, I think my first symptom was probably one of my first symptoms was anxiety, like just off the charts, anxiety, OCD, like as a four-year-old, I would be like, organizing my closet, like lining up my shoes, like just very weird kind of behavior. And then um, before kindergarten, I like could not get my letters and numbers like at all. And I just remember my mom like working on flashcards with me and being like, you need to get this. Like they're not gonna let you into kindergarten. Like what's happening? And same with reading. It took me a little while to like really pick it up but then the it was never really pressed because after I got it I like really took off academically I was a straight A student my entire life and so that wasn't really something that now looking back we're like oh like you're you were obviously struggling neurologically and someone should have maybe been paying attention to that um I think in third grade, I really struggled with self-confidence and to the point where my teachers like pulled my parents aside and were like, what's, what's wrong with her? Like, why, why does she lack such, like, why, why is she struggling so badly? Why does she, why is she so shy? And then I think I started dealing with fatigue and hormonal issues at the age of 12. And again, just kind of brushed those off as just normal being a human being a person growing up and then um 
let's see. <laughs> it's like a lot of just little things throughout my life that like looking back and after I got my diagnosis, I was like, oh my gosh, like I've, I've literally been sick and struggling my entire life. Like how, how was I doing that? But, um, I even at one point, I think at 12 or 13, I, I thought I had chronic headaches every, every day. And I took my mom, like I pulled her aside and I was like, I think I need to be tested for a brain tumor. Like I, this, I don't think this is normal. And so that's another thing. That's like a key symptom of mine. Um, but, and then I had bronchitis three or four times my freshman year of high school. And that kind of just really started the decline of my health completely. I think high school just knocked me straight into the ground. I had GI symptoms and then I was like tested for SIBO and I was put on two um, different antibiotics that made me decline so neurologically that I actually forgot how to spell my name. And I left my junior year of high school about a two, three weeks early. And then I missed like six weeks of my senior year of high school. Like I just like was very sick. I, you know, my weight really fluctuated and I, weight is a big part of my um, journey. I think I struggled with gaining weight over the summer and then losing weight and then losing weight to the point of trying to gain weight and not being able to gain weight. And being a dancer, there was a lot of questions of if I had an eating disorder and my GI symptoms really sparked like fear of food, like it hurt to eat. And so like, I just like, didn't want to eat. And so then I thought I had an eating disorder. <laughs> I went to a eating behavioral therapist and she's like, really didn't actually hear like my story. She just kind of heard straight A student, girl, dancer. Yeah, you have an eating disorder. She told me I ruined my heart forever. <laughs> she would like said I needed to go into an inpatient treatment immediately. And then my regular doctor was like, no, I really don't think that's right. Like there's, that's not the issue. And then they thought I had emotional trauma that was kind of causing the decline of my health. Um, I was in the hospital twice my senior year of high school, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. At that time, we really thought everything was based in the GI world. So I had endoscopies and colonoscopies. <laughs> I was in the hospital at Cedar sinai for a week. And at the end of the week, they were like, they gave me a physical therapy prescription for my EDS. <laughs> they were like, I think you're, they diagnosed me with eosinophilic esophagitis and gastritis and kind of just shuffled me along to um, an immunologist and like to test my allergens and stuff. And that came back as a random peanut allergy that like, I'd never been allergic to peanuts before, but that kind of makes sense because I was actually reacting. What we know now is I was reacting to mold severely. Um, 
And so, yeah, I was just kind of like told you have a peanut allergy, like here's some steroids, give it a year, your body just kind of needs to fix. <laughs> like if I, if I had waited a year, I think I'd be dead. Like I was 75 pounds and just praying like every night that my heart didn't give out in my sleep and that I'd make it to see another day. Um, and then finally my aunt who owned the Pilates studio that I was going to said, I found black mold in the Pilates studio. I think we have mold toxicity. I found a doctor. We should both go. And I went and he, they do, um, uh, sorry, <laughs> and brain MRI. Um, and through that, he's like, no, your brain is actually so bad. There's like, you know, you have atrophy and swelling and you, I think you have Lyme disease. Like you need to, let's test you for Lyme disease. And so that's kind of like, it's a long journey and a lot of different symptoms where it's like, I think when I was finally diagnosed, I was like, I don't actually know what it feels like to be healthy at all because every, I feel like I've never had a normal day of like no symptoms ever. You know, Ali, I, I know the people who are listening to this podcast are going to think you had very classic Lyme disease symptoms. And of course, there are a number of different reasons why uh, classic Lyme is often misdiagnosed, right? Or not diagnosed. And one, one, of the, one of the reasons why is because there is this pattern that if you tie a thread and tie all these symptoms together, it becomes pretty clear that you have Lyme disease. But unfortunately, in too many cases, either we, our parents, and or our doctors are looking at each individual symptom and they're, and they're trying to deal with each individual symptom. And nobody's taking a look at the entire picture and no one's looking at all of the symptoms together. And as a result of that, we, get, we, we have a long diagnostic journey. And, and would, you, would you agree that that seems to be what happened in your, in your situation? Completely. And I think like a lot of doctors refuse to listen to certain symptoms that they felt like wouldn't fit in the box of what they thought I had. Um, I went to this head like GI specialist and he heard my story and he was like, I don't worry. I totally get it. You um, have very similar symptoms and journey to my daughter. And we really thought she had an eating disorder. We thought she was going to die. Like her stomach was just so messed up. I think you have celiac because that's what she had. And my mom's like, okay, but I don't want you to just think because of your personal experience, like let's test it. And then the test came back and I didn't have celiac. And then he was just like, oh, I guess she does just have an eating disorder. Sorry. <laughs> it's like, what? Well, let's talk about another piece of this that we see repeating as a pattern on this podcast. That is, you go from doctor to doctor to doctor, who is in many cases just looking within his or her or their specialty. They believe that you have something that fits within the boxes that they have in their mind from their specialty. You take the diagnostic testing and the diagnostic testing doesn't show you to have what they thought you had. And you seem to have had that pattern where you had a whole bunch of different doctors who believed you had a whole bunch of different disorders. They put you through the different testing and you didn't have anything, right? Mm -hmm. So 
it's again, another one of the patterns that, that, that we see where if you're going to a whole bunch of doctors, they're all diagnosing you with, with, with different, um, different illnesses. You take the diagnostic testing that they offer you and you don't have it. That's a sign you probably have Lyme disease, right? And that's one of the things you would think doctors would start to observe themselves, right? Yeah, exactly. I think whenever I hear people say, oh, they thought I had this, but that it came back negative and you know, I have all these weird symptoms. I'm always like, <laughs> keep looking, like you need to be tested for Lyme disease. You need to look into mold toxicity. Like they're not gonna do this for you. You need to advocate for yourself, but there is something. And I think root cause is something that's like overlooked completely. And it's really, it's really hard and it's really unfortunate that this is so overlooked. Yeah, there's there's another piece of your journey that that was making me you know you know twitch quite frankly um, and that is uh, the the medical trauma that you suffered right you're 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 dealing with anxiety from your very early childhood you're you're trying to manage mental health issues and they're actually made worse by all the doctors that you saw and the one doctor or professional that you saw that I'd love to meet and choke is the one that <laughs> is the one that said to you you've got anorexia, right? Or you have an eating disorder when clearly you didn't. And if this professional had listened to you and had first looked at the entire picture, but then just sat back and listened to you, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have caused you to suffer the medical trauma that of course makes your emotional challenges spiral even further down. So talk about what it was like to have these people refuse to listen to you and then ultimately diagnose you with something that you clearly did not have and what impact that had on you emotionally. Yeah, it was, it was awful and completely exhausting. Um, the other GI guy I went to, I said like, I'm nervous. I can't really keep any food like inside me. Like, I don't know what to do. And he was like, well, like, and I was like, I'm losing weight rapidly. And I'm really afraid that I'm getting to a dangerous weight. And he's like, you know, you're not that skinny for a pretty girl. <laughs> it's like, what? It's, it's a lot of things. And a, I, the amount of ridiculous things that doctors have said to me throughout the years is astonishing. And I think like people would not even believe just how many, you know, like a, reg a regular person doesn't go to the doctor that often, but when you're going every like free time you have, like you get, you build up a lot of medical trauma. I have had a lot and just kind of it's caused, I mean, I'm terrified to go to the doctor now and just be so belittled and not believed. And even still, it's like, well, I have this Lyme diagnosis, but if I go to a doctor that's not Lyme literate, they're just going to say, no, like, you know, they'll just say, no, you don't. Or who told you that? Like doctors get angry when you say you have Lyme disease and it's like nothing I've ever experienced. And it's so lonely and isolating because ultimately we're taught to believe that doctors are going to save our lives. And when you're in a position where they don't believe you have a life-threatening illness, they, you know, it's scary because you kind of, you're like, well, if they don't believe me, I, I might die in their hands. And you, I like fear going to the ER. I fear like, you know, it's caused a lot of emotional distress throughout the years and 
a lot of helpless kind of feelings because it's, you, it's hard. It's really hard. So Ali, one of the other things that of course is coming to mind for me is that there is a mind body connection, right? And we do know that um, we do know that when we're under stress, it's immunosuppressive. And when our immune system is being, being uh, suppressed, then it allows the disease to take off, right? So while you're in this process of being gaslit and you're, being, you're in this process of, of suffering medical trauma, you're suffering emotionally and your emotions are spiraling down. As your emotions are spiraling downward, your immune system is now being stressed and not able to do its job and you're starting to get sicker and you're starting to get sicker and your symptoms are continuing to develop and then you finally get a diagnosis, right? How did it feel, um, and I'm gonna ask you one more question before I turn you over to, to uh, Danny, but how did it feel to finally get a diagnosis when you went on this journey of, you know, you're starting when you're four years old, um, you know, how, how did it feel to finally get a diagnosis? I couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I was elated. I was really like, thank you. Something makes sense. You know, I think something that I had struggled with for years was how can a girl my age be collecting so many different diagnoses? Like this doesn't make any sense. Why am I so unhealthy? Why do I have all these random things? And then when I finally got that Lyme diagnosis, it was like, oh, these random things are actually symptoms of a much larger thing. And I think, you know, you, for me, I would collect these different diagnoses and I'd be like, you know, that just doesn't feel right. That doesn't fit to me. And then I think like when I was finally diagnosed with Lyme disease and mold toxicity, it just clicked. It was like, wow. Okay. Thank you. Like <laughs> this, we're on the right path now. I think like I have faith that I might be able to turn this around. I might be able to have a life again. So all of your, all of your symptoms came together. They all made sense. And now you had the ability to move forward with a plan. And, 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 and Danny's going to talk about that plan, but I have one more question to ask before I turn you over one more area I'd like to explore with you. When was your mother given her diagnosis and how long was that before you received your diagnosis? She actually got diagnosed after me. It was my very first visit with my um, Lyme doctor. And she was like, I really actually think you have congenital Lyme disease. And I think we need to explore this and let's test your mom. And my mom says like, she was in such a state of denial, like, no, she didn't get that from me <laughs> at all, but actually, yeah. And so I, in a way saved her life because if I hadn't pushed for answers and if we hadn't pushed for answers, she might've continued to be sick throughout the rest of her life. And that is a really powerful and very positive part of your journey. And the reason I was asking the question is, in many cases, what we see on this podcast is that there are clues that someone has Lyme disease based on their family history. Mm -hmm. But doctors are ignoring that in many cases as well. And, and thankfully, in your case, uh, that wasn't something that they overlooked because your mom hadn't been diagnosed as of then. But there was some suspicion that she had Lyme disease, certainly from that rash. So how long before yeah. your diagnosis did your mom's rash appear where she took the Lyme disease test and she did not yet have a diagnosis? I think it was about five years. So if we had better testing, 
And had your mom been able to get tested properly five years before, perhaps your journey would have been much shorter and the damage that was caused to your body by having this disease sort of run amok in your body, you would have been in a position where you could have had a shorter journey. Completely. So then why don't you uh, talk with Allie now and take her through, um, you know, the excitement that she had and the challenges that came along with now having a Lyme disease diagnosis. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. I'm already blown away by your story, but um, so you had this kind of like enlightenment now that you have some idea of what has been going on for so many years. So that must've felt incredible, but I know for me, I, I didn't like get it at first. It didn't click. And it sounds like with you, it really clicked. And it's like the, the, the missing puzzle pieces were starting to fit together. So what did that kind of look like? Like once you had that diagnosis, where do you go from there? What do treatments start right away? Or did you have a doctor suggest something for you? Or is it something you and your mom did together? <laughs> what did that look like? So it's actually very interesting and kind of just like the universe has really been working in my favor in this sense. Um, my mom had spent so many years just staying up all night, Googling symptoms, trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Um, but I was going to college. It was my freshman year of college in Seattle. And then, so we had been up there a few times and um, Yolanda Hadid posted a picture of Mount Rainier out of an airplane window on her Instagram. And my mom was like, well, why is she in Seattle? <laughs> and then through that, she discovered that she was going to this health clinic for her Lyme disease. And this was before I had my diagnosis, but my mom looked up the clinic and they said that they specialized in mystery illnesses. And so my mom was like, if, if we cannot figure out what was, what is wrong with you, I want to take you there. And so it was actually my winter break from college that I was diagnosed with Lyme disease. And so my mom's like, well, I already have this place and you're already in Washington. So it was, it honestly, it was really perfect. Um, I was supposed to go at the end of my freshman year. And then I ended up having an infection, Bartonella, move into my heart, which was preventing me because I was a dance major. So it prevented me from dancing. The school basically said, like, you're a threat to yourself and to us. Like, we need you to leave. And so my mom was like, okay, you're going. Like, she messaged them and they said, yes, she can come a month early. Like, that's fine. And I met my doctor there and I've been with her ever since. And I know that's like not you, that's not typical, like for someone to see the first, have the first doctor they see, get them to a healthy spot. So I feel very fortunate that I really, I got lucky. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Like I kind of had the same, a little bit of same journey too, where when I finally did get the diagnosis, I got help and I didn't realize like how blessed I was that so many people really got kind of the runaround and it, it can be a really vigorous journey. So I'm so happy for you that you found that place. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's amazing that you had your mom's support too. Was she with you like throughout this journey or cause you said you were in Seattle. I don't know if your mom was able to yeah, be with you. So 
She was in California, but she flew up like actually both of my parents, they like hopped in the car and they're like, okay, like, because I texted them. I'm like, my like, um, counselor at school says like, I need to drop out. And the school is saying like, I need to leave. Like, I don't know what to do. And she's like, okay. Like they hopped in the car and they came up and they packed my entire dorm room. And I was like, packed up and headed to this clinic within a week. It was very quick. And so, yeah, my mom and my dad, they've been by my side this entire time which is That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. I know it's, it's a very, like you were, you were saying earlier, it's a, it's a lonesome disease. And so I, I, I am curious, like with your mom, maybe experiencing some of the same things, if that was helpful, but I can only imagine like you're trying to follow your dreams and you're in college and you're dancing and they're like, one, you can't do it. That's gotta be devastating. But on top of that, you're like a liability. So right. I'm sure kind of the course of what you had going on as a, as a person, kind of your identity and your character you'd been building is going another direction. So I'm kind of curious if you could like share with us what your walk looked like starting out the healing journey, like emotionally. I mean, you, you might've been in like a, a little bit of a difficult place. And then when you're first, you, you've probably been dealing with a lot of this for so long in terms of helping yourself. Um, so were you already taking like supplements before or medications? And then when you did start actually treating the Lyme, um, can you share with us like some of the things that you actually practical things that you did that when you first started? Yeah. So I was seeing an herbalist before I had been diagnosed and I think that kind of helped because she really helped just like organ support and lymphatic drainage was very helpful for me. And so I knew right away that I needed to lean more towards a natural way of healing. I am someone who doesn't really tolerate prescription medication well, and I had already been so gaslit and <laughs> not seen by Western medicine that I was like, I really need to just follow this natural road. And yeah, so I think that was already helpful that I kind of had already seen how natural medicine had been a positive to me. Um, I forgot the rest of your question. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I know it's a lot. It's well, I was kind of curious too. So you, you already started with the herbal stuff. You had been kind of used to that, but is there something new that you were introduced to when you started to heal, you know, healing from Lyme with this new doctor and at this new treatment center, what are some of the things that they suggested that you should, you should do to start treating your Lyme to feel better? You said you had the Bartonella and some heart issues. So did you have any other co-infections? I I honestly, I might be wrong, but I think I've had like pretty much all of them. It's been like, just like, oh, another one. Oh, another one. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so typical. So that sounds yeah. about right. <laughs> Completely. I think like, as far as like, I'm a little bit, not quite the right person to ask for this in the sense of when I was diagnosed, I completely surrendered my brain to healing. So all medical knowledge just went straight out the window. Like I was like, I had been Googling for so many years and I knew all the intricacies about all the different systems in our bodies. And so when I found a doctor and my, with my mom, I kind of just was like, I'm done. Like I'm tapping out. So there's a lot of things that I've done and that I've had and treatments and 
different procedures that I just don't quite know how they fit into my story and exactly what they are just because I really I mean was not in my body like I just was no one's home walking around like a ghost and just you you people can fix me (laughs) I'm just here for the ride and hopefully one day I wake up and it's fine and I did and I am better now and I think like I am more in control of my health but through the nitty gritty of it all like I really I think that question is hard for me to answer because I just tapped out yeah I totally understand that like Rich was saying it's when you sit down and you talk about your story or you think about the timeline it's like oh maybe this happened or that but it's sort of hard to put it in an exact timeline because it's your life and it's what you're living (laughs) with every single day and you have good days and you have bad days and you know it's such a long intricate journey and it's so different for everybody and that's what's amazing about you sharing your stories you can kind of tell us what yours looked like and and where you started so I love that you do the holistic um, route because that's the journey I had to take as well. I wasn't able to take antibiotics either. So, um, I, that's why I'm like, tell me everything. <laughs> what did you do? Cause it's hard to find someone that, um, you know, is along a different path. It's more of a yeah. chronic story that you have. And it's, I mean, obviously you've dealt with it really since you were born. And so it's treated a little bit differently. It's looked at a lot differently. So I really yeah. appreciate you trying to kind of dig into there and be like, what did I do? I can't Sorry. remember. <laughs> Um, and I think that's where, um, a huge component of what we deal with as Lyme's, um, or anyone that has a chronic illness is really having a, a support system. So it's so cool that you had your parents. So when it was a time where you're like, look, I cognitively, I can't even deal with this anymore. It becomes so overwhelming. You know, you have a support system to kind of help you, um, making decisions or, or making, you know, doing things for yourself that you can't do all the time. So that's really, I think it's important that you, you know, you share that and kind of open up your, your world to us a little bit and and see what's going on there. So I know it's hard to recall like exactly what treatments or this or that, that you did, but is there anything that you can remember that really didn't work for you? You know, post Lyme diagnosis, maybe something that the doctors recommended at the treatment center that it just really kind of didn't work or something that you remember that really did work, even if it's like a diet thing. I know you had a lot of GI struggles. So I'm curious how that went. So originally I was put after being, it's kind of hard. So originally I was put on like the autoimmune paleo diet. Okay. Um, but I did not find any relief from that, but also we didn't know this at the time, but our home also had toxic mold in it. And so actually when I came home from the treatment center from college and started my Lyme protocol, I actually went into organ failure from just the stress of treating the Lyme without like present. Cause I, I was in a dorm room, so I wasn't really presenting as like being mold sick anymore. And so it just, treating Lyme like tanked my body. And when we went back to the treatment center, they were like, oh my God, like you need to move. And like, my doctor was like, you cannot go back to your house. And so like, I actually didn't go back. Like my parents sold, we sold everything. We walked away from the house. Like it was a wildfire and kind of just rented an apartment in LA and started from ground zero. And so Yeah, I would say if you suspect you have mold toxicity, I would treat that first because that did not go well for me. 
Yeah. It sounds like that was definitely the biggest hurdle to jump, which is scary because mold is, I mean, we can't see it. And especially living like in Southern California, you think we'd have like fresh beach air all the time, but in reality, we have like horrible smog and pollution and it's so hard to find like a fresh environment to, to be able to heal in. So I totally understand that's difficult. So along this time, you continued to get testing to kind of see where you were at with stuff, or you just kind of tried different things, what worked, what didn't work and kind of just talked with your doctors. Did you find, um, you said you moved to LA. So were Mm -hmm. you, did you eventually leave that treatment center in Seattle and, and find another doctor or no, I've actually, my family and I have been, we would go and still do to Seattle for a week every three, four months for the last five years. (laughs) It's kind of like, I just haven't really had good luck with finding knowledgeable doctors in California. And I kind of was like, well, I know, like, I like my doctor and I'm finding success and I'm just going to stick with it. And it's kind of been fun. Like Seattle has a definitely a special place in my heart just because it's like, it's where I've found myself and gotten better. Yeah. I can imagine after all the gaslighting and medical trauma and everything that you've been through, my gosh, to finally find somewhere that they're like, no, we believe you. And we're going to help you and give you that sense of hope is I can't imagine how encouraging that was. And I, that's why I feel like this podcast is so important. And even what you do, Ali, like in the Lyme community and just reaching out and connecting to other people that, you know, are suffering from Lyme, whether they're in remission or not, um, or maybe other chronic illnesses, but especially with Lyme, because I know for me, um, you know, I was super fortunate to find an incredible Lyme doctor from day one. Mm -hmm. And I know they don't necessarily really advertise that, you know, that they're super (laughs) Lyme literate. Um, but it is sort of one of those places where if you have kind of a mystery situation, you can go there. And, you know, personally I go to Holtorf, which is here in Mm -hmm. LA it's Holtorf medical group, which is an amazing place. Um, but that's exact same way I felt it's like, I had gone through so much of that. And I got to tell you, Ali, when you said, um, that doctor told you you're not that skinny for a pretty girl, Oh, I'm, as I'm, the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm literally shaking. I have, I feel like I'm going to cry because I have been there, sis. Like, I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a hairdresser, I'm a makeup artist. So I am a makeup artist makeup as in you can hide behind what's going on, you know, and it's, it is an invisible disease. And I think as a woman, like, you know, for us gals, like it's just, it's a little bit of an extra struggle because you do get that extra like bias, like, Oh, you look fine. You look pretty. Like, what are you complaining about? And it's just, it's, it's that extra knife knife twist that you get sometimes because it is so hard what we deal with and we have to be extra, extra strong. And so when you hear something like that, it just, Oh, it broke my heart when you said that, like, I wish I could just crawl through the zoom and give you a hug. Like I know that happened a long time ago, but I'm just like, Oh, it's, it's just such a, yeah, it's a very personal um, feeling that I got when, when you said that. And so I don't know. I just want to say thank you for kind of opening up. I know you're really sharing some really intimate things about your journey and it's not easy. And I noticed that you, um, oh, I feel like I could cry. Like it's not my podcast story guys. I'm like, calm down, Danny. But, um, I, it is personal for me and I'm sure there's a lot of people that will be able to relate in the same way, but I'm just blown away personally because I'm like 10 years older than you. And I went through the same exact journey of 
having the anxiety and the OCD and, you know, going through that, but I'm listening to you and you went through that when you're like four and I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, it was so hard for me. I can't imagine that you almost, you know, you can't even relate to a life of not dealing with that. And so it really just shows your strength as a woman, as a Lyme warrior, as a fighter. And I'm super glad that you were, you know, a part of this podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, um, you know, it's, it's just, I think it's strange for me because first of all, I love your Instagram name dancing in the limelight. I just think that is so rad. It's so cute. And when I look, you know, was looking through your Instagram, you just, you have this like energy that comes across in your pictures and in, in the way that you caption your photos and you kind of share your story. And it seems like you do have so much hope and it, you do come across really strong. You come across adorable (laughs) and so sweet. Um, and like, I'm just like loving that you're repping for our community. I'm like, I love this girl, but also, um, you know, that strength that's in you, you're talking a lot about all these things that you went through, but where, when did you really start to see some achievements coming across where you did that hopelessness did change into hope, not just with your diagnosis, but I mean, along your personal journey, you said it was, um, I believe you said it was maybe five years ago. Is that correct? When you got your diagnosis, Yeah. So where, how long did it take to get to that point where you could start seeing some real achievements where you're like, you know what, I have some hope I can get better. I can, I can do this. Did you find a, the Lyme community and that's what it was, or was it something in your actual you know, practical things that were happening in your life and, you know, some medicine or some treatment or something where you thought, wow, this is really helping me. You know, I would say, I want to say that it was rooted in like me getting physically better, but I think it wasn't until I really sat with my emotions and I like allowed myself to be positive and like, kind of like get into that, like, okay, you're not going to die. Like, you're actually like, look at these symptoms improving. You are getting better. Like kind of like talking to myself mentally, like you are doing fine, you know? And that was actually in the stillness of 2020 was just when I was like, oh, wow. Like had this overwhelming amount of self-love for myself and just kind of like woke up to oh, wow, like, (laughs) I've been through so much, and I should be so proud of myself. And that positivity really um, shifted things for me. And it kind of like allowed me to acknowledge the physical things that were getting better, even though I think I started improving physically much before I actually let myself realize it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. I think I talked about that a lot on my podcast that I think the emotional component is arguably probably the the biggest part of any chronic illness. And people do want to like how you did, how Rich did. If we, you know, those of us that know Rich's story, you, um, I've noticed too, that a lot of people who I I've noticed are diagnosed with Lyme and maybe it's the ones that are speaking out, but we tend to be the type a, like very strong, very determined. Um, like OCD is kind of in our nature anyways, or maybe it is the Lyme, the chicken or the egg, (laughs) the tick bite, or I don't know what came first, but, um, we're those types of people. So it's just interesting to, to see that it's, it's that emotional component 
where it's not so much the physical, it's not the knowledge. Let me read every single book and know every single detail and find the cure for myself. It's like, we go straight to the clinical, like, what should I be eating? What medicine should I be taking? Who, what doctor should I be talking to? And you can do that till the cows come home. You can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on it. But if you're not having, like you said, that self-love and that self-reflection and that self-awareness of where are my emotions at? You know, how am I actually treating myself as a, as a spirit, as a soul, as a person, not just as a diagnosis or something like that. That's such a huge part of what makes us better, you know, and not to say that the, the practical things are not extremely important, (laughs) especially I'm sure with like, you know, your GI story and, and those things, they really, um, have such a like shock, they shackle us down. It's like, you can't leave your house. And you know, the things that we know Matt went through and the cognitive stuff, it, it does make it physically hard to, to move on. But when you do start getting that practical help and you do find that hope in a doctor, it's amazing, but you really, you have to work on yourself as a person. And, and that's what it really shines through with you, your, your kindness and your heart. And the fact that you can turn that inward it's a really powerful thing to do. And it takes a lot of courage to do that because it's a lot easier to just hate yourself and be like, oh, it's my fault that I'm so yeah. sick. So when you can actually look in the mirror and be like, no girl, you're doing it. Like you're doing the work in your heart. You're doing the work, you know, in the kitchen, <laughs> wherever <laughs> it takes to make yourself better. That's a huge, I got to give you ma- massive props for that because I think we don't talk about that enough. So yay. Kudos to your achievements on the self-love. I love that so much. I'm going to ask you um, one more question before I turn it back over to rich and I'm just um, seeing you in, in a much better place now. And I know we have our bad days and it's never, you know, hundred percent, but um, it, you know, it's really inspiring to see how you're doing now. Um, Do you think those times, if you were to look back when you were in high school and you were really, really struggling and it kind of felt like everything was falling through your fingers with your dance, your dreams of dancing. And I I can only imagine, you know, being a senior in high school, it's such an important time in your life. And it's probably really sad when you, when you think about that girl. Um, So looking back, what is, what is something that you would tell her just to kind of knowing what she was in for all the way up to this point? I think people's opinions don't matter. It was really hard going to high school, um, especially since a lot of my symptoms were rooted in my physical appearance. Mm -hmm. I am living in a small town. I had, it felt like everyone and their mother was talking about the fact that I had an eating disorder and I didn't have parasites, like I said, and I wasn't, you know, like, there was a lot of doubt and a lot of people just spreading a lot of vicious rumors. And even, I mean, teachers were in the loop of what students and parents were saying about me. And I think like that made me just want to be invisible and it made me really weak. And I didn't, I just had like, yeah, I guess like, you know, like I just like felt so small and like, what I was feeling didn't really matter. And so I think they don't matter. And what they they said about me don't matter. It's my journey and my life and what I feel is wrong with me or right with me is all that matters, you know? And so I think like, I just like, I put too much, I think I just put <laughs> like too much weight into other people's opinions. And that was like really hard to deal with. Well, I'm going to challenge you again, because um, (laughs) 
the old dads do that. Uh, and, um, and, and I really, I really, I, I think, by the way, I have to tell the two of you, the best exchange we've ever had on this podcast was the conversation the two of you were having together. I mean, I have to tell you, this is one of the most beautiful exchanges I've ever, I've ever witnessed. And it's, and it really does, I think, um, uh, you know, deserve to be, to be recognized. Um, and, and it's a tribute to the decision that we had made here at Tick Podcast, Tick Bootcamp, the Tick Bootcamp podcast to bring in other folks to ask the questions because Matt and I could have never had an exchange with, um, with you, Allie, uh, the way you and, and Danny just had this beautiful conversation. So thank both of you for, for being vulnerable and kind and, and being willing to have this conversation. And there are a couple of things I wanted to talk to both of you about. Um, uh, but, but before I get to that, uh, Ali, I do wanna, I do wanna challenge you again, right? Because you're, you're, you're in this position where you're a little girl who's now having these emotional challenges that are driven by this disease that you had, by the way, in your brain. You right. had, as Dr. Harwood says, you have, it, it's not, it, it is in your head. You have <laughs> bacteria in your right. brain. You have mold in your brain. You have mm -hmm. all kinds of things going on in your brain causing you to be sick, right? Um, and, you know, anytime we're going through any, any type of a challenge in life, um, you know, we're going to have a lot of different challenges that we're going to have to deal with. The first challenge we're going to have to deal with, of course, is our mind. Our survival software is going to be triggered and our mind is going to be taking us in a number of different places, right? Another challenge that we're going to have, unfortunately, is that people who we have intimate relationships with, unfortunately, are going to create problems for us as well. Teachers, friends, and thankfully, in your case, it wasn't your parents, but in many cases, it's even parents who are creating these challenges, which then have caused our, our survival software to be triggered and they, the self-talk gets even worse, right? But then there are going to be third parties who are more distant. People who we are in an intimate relationship with, we're also going to create challenges for us. And, and this sort of just, it causes us to spiral down and spiral down and spiral down. So it wasn't that you were giving these people too much, um, you know, too much respect or you were allowing them to share too much time in your head. You were just overwhelmed yeah. with, you know, with, physical issues that are causing you to suffer from PTSD and suffer your survival suffering being triggered. And then you have doctors that are adding on to it and teachers that are adding to it and other people that are adding to it. I mean, who wouldn't be overwhelmed by this? <laughs> who wouldn't be listening to this, right? And of course, what that does is it causes that voice in your head to be even louder, right? And that's really what was happening. So please don't be so hard on yourself. You, you, know, you, you, you were in a really bad place through no fault of your own. And, and, and you had no control over that. But there, there was a really important part of this conversation that, that I, I just want to revisit with the two of you. And that is this mind-body connection, right? Because when we, have, when we have this bacteria and we have these viruses and we have these protozoa in our head, right? What it's doing is it's causing us to have mental health issues, right? And part of the mental health issues that you were dealing with at, at that time was you had this negative self-talk right? And, and you were just coming down on yourself. And of course, that was being made worse by all the things that we were just talking about, right? But then there was this point where you started to be more kind to yourself. And you started to now talk more uh, positively to yourself. Now, do you believe that that was because you had the opportunity to sit down and, um, and, and be, I think you, I, I think you used the term, um, you know, the, you had stillness in 2020. Uh, or do you think 
the physical treatment that you were going through and, the, and, 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 and all of the work that you were doing with your doctors caused you to have some relief physiologically in your head, which then allowed you to have more clear and kind thoughts. And then you could have, you could have uh, an opportunity to be more kind to yourself the way you're talking to yourself. And then sort of recount all the gains you were getting after that. Where, where, where's the chicken and the egg here? Yeah, wow. <laughs> you know, I feel like, so me and my journey, when I got diagnosed, I fell out of life. Like I severed ties with the little friends that I did have left. I hid for years. I wasn't on social media. I made this like Lime Instagram that I have now. And I purposely used like a different email that like no one would you know, find me, I wouldn't let my mom follow me. So there were no links to like my past. And I think like being in that hole of like seclusion actually really helped because I didn't have to worry about, I didn't, I could sit with myself. I could just decompress. I can decondition, like decondition everything that I had experienced. And with, I think that was a huge factor with along with getting treatment was just being able to I mean nervous system wise I was completely in fight or flight like every second of every day I still struggle with when I feel judgment of other people kind of shaking and getting on edge and not feeling safe but I think I'm not sure if there's a chicken or an egg. I think they both like really supported each other beautifully to create this kind of moment of in my body. It was like, you're pretty much better and it's 2020 and you can't leave the house and you can't even go and try to make friends or create a life. So let's really sit with yourself and connect and draw and read and do all these things that you used to love to do. And it kind of was just like, got me in my body I've also really struggled with like depersonalization and like not really like being embodied and I think 2020 helped so much just kind of like you're not leaving the house you're gonna sit here and figure out what's going on and I think like so yeah they kind of just together really I think maybe if I wasn't healthy it would have not had the same impact on me, but I do think it wasn't one or the other first. It was kind of just like both. Well, let's talk about that. So, so one of the things that I think is really cool about your, your journey is in order to be able to quiet the voice in your head, the negative voice in your head, you had to quiet everything on the outside, right? You had to, you had to disconnect from all the negative noise that was in your life, whether they be social, whether they be social or otherwise, right? Once you quieted that noise and that wasn't adding to the noise in your head, you were able to quiet the noise in your head. And once <laughs> you were able to quiet the noise in your head, then you were able to go forward with identifying the gains that you made. And when you identified the gains that you made, then you were able to be gentle with yourself and have more positive talk. So I think it was a process yeah. Um, and, 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 it, and I think it's a very powerful process that you used in order to be able to become more healthy emotionally and put you in a, in a position where you could now look at all the gains that you had made so that you can see the progress rather than just hearing the noise. So let me talk to you about one other thing, because you had a lot of gut issues, right? Yeah. 
And, um, and you know, there is the gut brain connection, right? And we, and we know, we know that when our gut is unhealthy, we're going to be emotionally unhealthy. So what kinds of things do you do to heal your gut? And what impact would that have on you emotionally? So I think actually, I really, gut issues was a big prominent issue. And I think it was one of the last issues to really resolve itself. I'm really still dealing with like extreme, just damage. I mean, I think when I was getting my colonoscopy done, they said like, it looked like a bottle brush had just like scraped through like my intestines. And I think like, but no one said like what to do about that. They were just like, sucks for you, you know, <laughs> bye, <laughs> go, good luck with this. And so really actually getting my food sensitivities tested every six months in the past, like, I think it's been about a year, a year and a half has, I've seen major improvements with my gut, just not dealing with IBS issues, not dealing with mast cell issues that has been probably the most influential key to healing my gut. It's kind of something that I'm still dealing with, but I think that's been the biggest thing. And I do think like, I am happier. <laughs> and I think that that is not even something, you know, you see like, oh yeah, gut brain connection. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. But it's like, looking back, I'm like, oh yeah. Like <laughs> I, I think I am more happy and more positive and joyful now that I'm not only just like gut is healed, but I mean, not being in pain all the time, I think also helps you be a little bit lighter and happier. And of course, more resilient, right? Because yeah. you then have the ability to now manage some of the things that were overwhelming you in the past. And some of the things yeah. that you had to shut out before because it was collectively overwhelming you. Now you can manage maybe somebody making an observation, a rude observation and not take it personal, not let that add to your, right. to your fight or flight. Or maybe you can manage somebody, you know, making a mistake and, and, and stepping over a line that isn't necessarily intentional, but because you're not so fragile and because you're, you can be more resilient, you can manage those kinds of things and they don't sort of take you, you know, further and further down the spiral, you become more resilient and you become generally more happy, right? Totally. So let me tell you what I really love about the story. And, uh, and I don't want to say I love it more than the conversation that the two of you had together, because that was really unbelievably beautiful, um, is how you finally came now back, right? And one of the things that I loved about, um, about your um, Instagram and your decision to join this community, right? You went from being someone who had to shut everything out and somebody who was in a lot of pain and somebody who had all this negative uh, self-talk and being constantly in fight or flight to now showing a very different um, alley and being in a very different place where you can now start to help other people by uh, by becoming a part of the Instagram, Lime Instagram community. So talk, first talk to us about um, how that developed, how you finally got to a point where you said, all right, now it's my turn to give back because I want to help other people shortcut their journey. Yeah. So funnily enough, like I joined the Lyme, I made my Lyme Instagram, like I think the week after I got diagnosed, but back in 2017, the Lyme community, or at least the Lyme community that I had connected with was very 
different from what it is now. I think it was really negative and kind of just like full of, I'm going to die. No one's saving me. I don't know what to do. And that was so hard and so overwhelming. And so when I came back around, I think 2020, I kind of started posting more. I really felt like it was important for the me's that were just starting their journey to see there is hope. Like, you know, there is toxic positivity that's tossed around in this community as well. But I do think it's important to note that, you know, you can have Lyme disease and you can be happy and you can, you know, find hope and there's, it's not dark, you know, it feels dark, but there needs to be people out there in this community shining their light to show others that like, don't give up. Like, you can do this. You're going to make it through this. And I think that was the huge reason for me to get back on there because I just, I felt like I was really doing a disservice to all the people that were lost and sad and confused. And I needed them to know it's going to be okay. <laughs> like I have been there. I've been through a whole lot of stuff in my short little life so far, but I ha you need to have hope and faith and yeah. And there is a path forward, right? And you wanted yeah. to make sure, uh, you wanted to make sure that uh, people saw that there was a path forward and it may not be exactly the same path that you were taking because each one of us has to have our own individual path and each one of us is going to have our own individual journey. But there is a path for everyone and you wanted to share your path forward because you didn't want people to get stuck because they only see the pain that others are in it when they're at earlier stages in their journey. Now, one of the things I, I think is also really beautiful from a transformational standpoint is the little girl who wanted to be a teacher, the little girl who wanted to be a performance artist has now reconnected with those God-given talents and those traits. And she's using her gift to teach and her gift to teach as a performing artist in the very name of her Instagram. So talk about what inspired the name of your Instagram and how that sort of brings you full circle to connecting with these talents that you knew you always had, but unfortunately you had to put on the shelf for a while, even when you went to college where they told you you had to leave when you were developing those skills, but now you've come back and now we're dancing in the limelight. Yeah. So, I mean, when I first made the Instagram name, like my mom was like, why? Like, I don't, I don't really get it. And I was like, no, like, this is important. I think it's cute. Like, you know, and funnily enough, I've gotten a lot more compliments on it. Like this year, I think people just were kind of like, oh, whatever. Like, okay, that's weird. But no, dance is a huge part of my journey, just because I think like, it is a part of my soul and it's how I connect with myself, but it's also a huge detriment. I, like I mentioned, I was severely underweight and sick my senior year of high school. And I kind of just, I got to the point where my herbalist was like, I've never seen anyone as sick as you. Like, I am extremely worried that you are going to die. You need to stop dancing you need to stop going to school. Like you need to get better. And I was like, well, you know, Nutcracker is in a month. And <laughs> if I'm going to die, like I want to do something I love before I die. And so I really just steamrolled my way through that. And I think like there's a lot of 
distrust with myself because I didn't listen to my body and I wasn't kind of my body. And I was like, I'm going to dance because I love to dance. And if you're falling apart, then that sucks. And I think it's been like a journey kind of easing back into dance and letting my body know, like, I am going to listen to you. Like, I'm not going to let you get that depleted anymore. And this is what we love to do. And we can take this back without lime ruining that for us and so I think like even though I might not be a professional dancer like I dreamed and even though I might not continue to dance in the future as much as I dance or had wanted to dance or thought that my future would look like it it needs to be a joyful experience and it needs to be an experience that isn't you know, it's, it's, it's mine, you know, dance is my thing. And Lyme is something that has taught me a lot about dance has taught me a lot about myself and has showed it, it's just been huge. I'm sorry. If that's like well, rambling. But, but it isn't rambling. I think it's beautiful. Allie. And, and, you know, so one of the things, again, in the spirit of me being the, uh, the dad, who's going to challenge you. <laughs> um, I think, I think, you need to stay with that as you're going through your transformation. We've interviewed uh, scores of doctors, some of the Lyme pioneers like Dr. Joseph Uroscano to Dr. Bill Rawls, who is, in our view, the genius of our time. And what, what we found with every one of the leading Lyme doctors is you will not heal if you do not move. Dr. Uroscano said from the earliest time when he was doing his research in the 70s and 80s, like when I was young, mm -hmm that if you didn't move, you wouldn't heal. And what movement would be better than dancing? A, a joyful movement, right? So I, I, want you to, I want you to stay with this, uh, with this topic as you're moving forward in your transformation because a professional doesn't have to be someone who is on Broadway, for example. A professional is somebody who is using her gifts and talents to help other people in a way that creates value and allows people to, uh, to pay you for that value, right? So if you're able to create, for example, and I don't know what your future is, but just one of the things that I'm thinking about, if you're able to create a form of dance that will not be too rigorous, because if you exercise too rigorously, obviously that's not going to help you healing, but is, but is appropriate movement that will allow you to go through the detox and allow you to heal, Perhaps that's where your calling is, and perhaps that's where you're starting to see where your future is. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that would be amazing. I mean, <laughs> I am lost in what like my purpose in life is or my way forward. And I think if I could explore something that was rooted in dance, I think that would bring a lot of joy. Well, you did say you did say that you're now listening to your body, right? And we get yeah. all kinds of signals, right? So when we're feeling when we're feeling rudderless, when we're feeling kind of lost, that's a signal as well, right? And we have to go back to the touchstones and we have to read what our body's telling us, right? And and if our body is telling us 
that we should be doing a particular thing and our emotions are telling we should be doing a particular thing, well, perhaps that's something that we have to look at more closely and we have to be guided by. So just like you have to be guided by your body, you have to be guided by your emotions. And it seems pretty clear to me, and I'm going to let Danny weigh in on this, it seems pretty clear to me that your body's telling you that you have to go back to the place that God created you to be and that there are many places here for you in movement, right? And one of the things that we're going to be doing here at Tech Bootcamp is we're going to actually start creating a couple of other podcasts because we've been getting called out by folks in the community for not sharing the patterns that we've identified, right? Because during the course of these almost 300 podcast interviews we've done, we see patterns. We've identified patterns, right? And we had a long, we received a long letter from a, you know, a, a young man in Germany. And he said, hey, guys, when are you going to start sharing the patterns? When are you going to start sharing what you saw in other people? And what he didn't know was that I was watching Matt heal over the course of these last couple of years because Matt went from being a very frail, really scared, really sick, cognitively impaired person to somebody who is now making every single podcast episode and brilliantly, you know, interacting with folks in the community. So I didn't just listen to and learn from all of you individually. I also watched somebody on the journey as well. And there have been a lot of patterns. So we're going to be, we're going to be putting together some new podcasts where we're going to be developing patterns. And one of the patterns that we're going to talk about is fitness, right? Because each one of us has to find our own way of moving. Each one of us has to listen to our body and find something that works for us. And I guarantee you, there's a large segment of this community that will be positively impacted by having a fitness or movement protocol related to dance. Now, it's not going to be a, an old six foot six guy like me, but that doesn't mean that that's not going to be there. And I can tell you that a lot of people are moved by Dr. Jess, for example, who's another brilliant you know, leader in this community. And part of what she does is she dances all over the place, right? And, yeah. you know, and she just does that in a really powerful and beautiful way. So I, I urge you to consider, um, you know, the signals that you're getting, not from me and Danny in particular, but generally from you, because there's a place for you in this community. And that's why you're on this podcast, right? I mean, talk to us about, um, about the decision to come on this podcast, right? Because there are many people that we invite that don't come on this podcast, right? Um, and I will admit that we're overwhelmed with all the people who are asking to come on the podcast now, but there have still been many people that have decided not to do that. And you were nervous when we were having our pre-podcast uh, conversation. So talk about how all of that changed for you. Why, A, you decided to come on here and share your very personal story and B, how you, how you matured during the course of this podcast where you had this brilliant conversation with, with folks rather than being the scared little girl that started out this conversation. Yeah, you know, I have had such a desire to help people. And in the beginning, every Lyme person that I reached out to and gave advice to was not taking it and was like not wanting to be my friend. And I was sitting back like, what's happening? Like, what's wrong with me? You know, like, I don't understand. All these people are talking about their best Lyme friend that they've met on Instagram. And it was really frustrating to me. And I've kind of just like, stuck with spreading my journey and I know like whoever's supposed to see my story is going to see my story and that's just how that's going to work out and I need to surrender to you know I might not be the most popular account and I might not people might not be receptive to my story but there are people that are going to be and there has been people that have reached out to me that are dancers or that struggle with GI issues or that just don't know 
what's wrong with them and how to figure out how to find what's wrong with them. And so I think with that aside, I also really struggle with being seen. <laughs> like I've hid for so long. I felt so insecure in like myself and my journey and my body. And so this felt like a very big milestone for me, like you're going to be on here and you're going to be seen. And I really struggle with speaking and I'm very anxious. And I just think like, but this is good. Like this is pushing me and I am becoming better. And so I think like, it's kind of selfish reasons to be on here because something I needed to do for me. <laughs> well, and it's something we needed you to do for all of us as well. And we really thank you for doing that. So I'm going to let Danny ask you the final question of your Tick Bootcamp podcast. Well, first of all, I cannot wait to see Rich when he follows your dancing protocol and I hope it's filmed and I hope we all can watch it. <laughs> and <laughs> in regards to that, I mean, I know you, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, you're kind of trying to find your purpose right now where you're at and, you know, you're so young, you, you are so mature beyond your years and everything that you've gone through and, and the strength that you've built up over this time. I think you, definitely your spirit is a lot older than 24, <laughs> but, you know, coming from a gal who's 10 years older than you, I mean, you are exactly where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be completely lost when you're 24 and in a place where you're finding joy. That's, that's, you know, that's kind of where I was. And, um, you know, you get to a point where you, like you said, I think just follow your own advice, sis, because you're talking about, you know, just resting in the stillness. And um, I loved when you said, don't give up. That's the message that you're sending to other people. And I think that you should listen to yourself because you're very wise for a 24 year old gal. <laughs> Thank you. So I am very, very much looking forward to whatever is next for you. And maybe in 10 years we'll, where you will be um, given where you're at right now and you've come so far from from you know the story that you told us and where you started it's amazing so um a lot of times on this podcast we end by asking people you know if they were to find a tick on their friend what would they do or what advice would they give but you are so unique and special and so I just really want to know um listening to your story after all of the gaslighting and the medical trauma and the emotional stress and you know coming from a place of hopelessness, you, it really touched me when you were talking about, um, you felt like you were almost losing your life and that you, the thought actually came across your mind that if you were going to die, you want to do, want to die doing something that you love, which that right there shows immense strength. I mean, I think that there's very few people that are willing to fight this disease. And even if they're willing to fight, I mean, to the death is pretty intense. So that's, that's amazing. It's very, very inspiring. And I can tell you, I've been there too, where I've had times where I just tell God, like, you know, I think if this is going to be where my life is, like, maybe you should just take me, you know, because it's, it, it's really, it gets really intense. And I, I don't even know if I can relate to the, the depths of the struggles that you've been to, but I am inspired by it. And the fact that you have come so far, my question to you is, um, you know, what gives you the motivation to keep fighting and to wake up every day and not only to fight just what you go through on a daily basis, but beyond that, that you want to, you have a desire to help other people and really just, where do you find that joy? Like what makes you smile and 
what makes you want to dance besides your absolute passion for it. But when, you know, you just really have that urge where you just feel so full of joy that you want to feel like dancing, where does that come from? Where do you find that? How do you keep going? I think it's the, it was really like, I, there became a point in time when I was afraid to leave the house, you know, it's full 180 from I'm just gonna dance and if I die then I'm dying and then it was like I'm in treatment and I'm like getting better and I like didn't want to leave the house because I was afraid I would be in a car accident and die and my life would end too early like I just got like that little bit of hope and I was like I deserve to have a beautiful life and I want to have a beautiful life and that's really been like this driving force. I want to have friends. I want to have boyfriends. I want to get married and create a life and be happy and, you know, have a life that's filled with sunflowers and (laughs) sunshine and butterflies and not just like gloom and darkness and pain. And I think it hurts me to know that other people out there are also in that dark place. And I think like, I want to help them see that life can be beautiful and that we all deserve to have a beautiful life that isn't hard. And I think that's kind of like what keeps me going is that like, I want that and I want other people to have that too. That is beautiful. I feel like I've almost not cried this whole podcast, but they're coming out now and I don't want my lashes to fall off. So I'm going to turn it back to rich, but I just want to tell you, thank you so much. It sounds like exactly what we're doing right now, like the Lyme community and everybody else out there. That's what we're here for is to support each other and encourage each other and give a little bit of purpose to our life Mm -hmm. to encourage us to wake up every day and try to make the most out of squeeze all the lime, (laughs) all the juice out of our limes and and get the most that we can. And like you were saying, you kind of, you know, it's so easy to get lost in the anger of the pain that we have to endure Mm -hmm. for so long. And so finding that joy for yourself and to encourage other people, I just think it's beautiful. I think everything you've shared with us, Allie is so beautiful. And you've kind of left me speechless because normally I can't stop talking as noted on my three hour podcast, but I'm like, I don't even know what to say. She's so amazing. And I feel like I could talk to you forever. And if you're looking for Lyme besties, like I'm here, girl, I love you. <laughs> I, I would love that. <laughs> Thank you. So um, I, I thank Danny for turning it back over to me and I could only ruin this beautiful moment by making any observations. So what I'm going to do is just thank you, Ali. And thank you, Danny. This is an absolutely beautiful podcast. The two of you are brilliant, beautiful young women. And uh, our community is really blessed to have the two of you uh, as leaders in this community. So thank you so much for taking time uh, and sharing with, uh, with the folks in the Tick Bootcamp community. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with Allie Goodman. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you would like to learn more about Allie Goodman, visit her Instagram page at Dancing in the Limelight. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint. This is inspired by the information that has been provided by guests on the podcast. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to offer. Fourth, Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast, 
Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get automatic episode updates from our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave an honest review on Apple Podcasts, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of your reviews we get. Thank you for listening.